You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. God has been doing some great work among some of our guys, and and I'm just thankful for that, and I'm glad these guys got together again to to share this morning. Um, When I think about the cross... We sung about it. When I think about the cross, what comes to mind? I mean, the immediate thing is it is a, it's something that we, if we have a relationship with God, we kind of understand. But if you take out the whole idea of salvation, if you take that out of the discussion about the cross, you end up, you end up with something that was deserved for criminals and grotesque. It was something that nobody would really want to look at or, or take in. You know how we are. We look at something and we can remember it. Uh, there are things that you could probably remember from your childhood. And if you're still a child, there's something you can remember from last week or whatever it is. You look and you say, you know what? I remember when that looked like that. For, for me, I've gone back to where I grew up a couple of different times over the course of years. And, and every once in a while, I will just go back and I'll, I'll even do a Google Earth thing. And I'll, I'll look at the street where I grew up and, and look at the house and try and figure out different things about it. And go, okay, the porch that my dad, that where we poured the concrete and built the awning and all that kind of stuff on the side of the house, it's still there. The driveway looks completely different. The front yard, the two big maple trees in the front yard are gone. And so the house looks a little different, but there are pieces of it that I recognize. And when I look around the whole neighborhood, places where we played baseball or football or hockey or one of those kind of things, I can look at it and I can see it and some things come to mind. But we would not want the image of the cross stuck in our mind if it weren't for the salvation that's offered to us through Jesus Christ because of the cross. Jesus shedding his blood on the cross was for us. And so, rightfully so, we praise Him. We praise Him because of what He has done. We praise Him because that cross is something that's not grotesque to us. It is beautiful. Because it means that the penalty of our sin is no longer on us if we've trusted Christ as our Savior. That's a great place to be. And yet... When we come to know Christ and we begin that relationship with Him, if we don't work on the relationship, then things go awry, don't they? We kind of drift. We, we can get moved off of center. We start to do things that we shouldn't do, and we start to just not pay attention to things that we should pay attention to. And so when we start talking about revival and spiritual awakening, one of the things that comes to mind is just, this whole preparation for that. If God is going to come do at work and we're expecting that, what does that look like? And so we've been in this series, this Awakened series for several weeks. This is the last message in that series because next week we're having having the Awakening weekend that starts on Friday. And so we've talked about the fact that all of this is about God. That it was started by Him 
in our relationship with him, but it's not just starting by him, but it, this revival comes by him so we can get to know him better. And our relationship with him grows. We also said that it's not about, not so much about the we, although we is a byproduct of the eyes getting straightened out. So if I go before God and I, I have a, this relationship with God that is good because I've repented and turned from my sin and I'm following him with abandon, just this, this reckless abandon in following God and who he is, then it will eventually affect the body. Because if each of us does it collectively, we are closer to him and we follow his direction in a more perfect way. And then the third message was in this was acknowledging the pain. Just understand that sometimes God takes a two by four to us. You've heard those kind of phrases that God punishes us. And we, we, if we talk about two by fours and punishment, we go, that is just wrong. But sometimes the, the reality is that God sometimes gets our attention and draws us to himself. It's not so that he can inflict pain on us. It's so that we get redirected in our thought process, in our life process, that we want to follow him and we are brought back to him. It's the idea of a father disciplining a son because he knows he's gone a different direction than what he ought to, and at the same time, putting his arm around the son saying, I still love you even though you messed up. It's the 1 John 1, 9 idea that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It puts us in that place. So we acknowledge the pain that sometimes comes with God draws, drawing us back to him. And then we talked about kingdom treasure and the whole idea that prayer is an essential piece of revival and spiritual awakening. That without prayer, God may just dismiss it. But if we pray and say, God, we earnestly cry out, not as individuals, but even collectively in unity. God, we cry out to you and ask that you would bring revival to us. And then the last one last week was everybody's cry that we do it together. And so you saw out in the foyer last week and you were given cards to do prayer requests. You see out in the foyer this, this week that those cards are posted in that little area right outside the doors. And it's a place that you can go to and, and check on the prayer requests of those that are in our church family. You can pray about it. Scott, we were talking this morning, Scott... I don't even know where he went. Okay, anyways, he's here somewhere. Um, he may be back praying for all I know. But here's, Scott told me this morning, he said, he showed me on his phone. He said, this is what I've done. I've taken a picture of the prayer requests back there. And I'm going to keep track of them. And I'm going to kind of divide them into family and, and church family and, and different things that are going on, financial needs or whatever it happens to be. And I'm going I'm to pray for those kind of in an order and just bring them before God and see what God does with them. And so we, we talked about that. And then this week we're talking about no compromise. Will, will we be settling for just another week at church or are we, are we coming at this saying, God, we are desperate for you to do something in this place with us. Are we going to come at God like that? Uh, Evan Roberts, and we've talked about Evan Roberts before. Evan Roberts was this young man, and um, he was 26 years old when this started. 
and he just went to sleep. And sometime during the night, and you may have had times like this where in the middle of the night, God woke you up. He said, oh, I don't know why I'm awake, but I'm awake. And God woke this young man up and just drew him to himself. And so he started studying the scriptures. And this happened night after night. He would wake up and God would take him to the scriptures and teach him about discipleship and evangelism. And what it meant to follow God with his whole heart. And after he learned of that, God kind of gave him a vision and said, this is what I desire. He said, my desire is that 100,000 people would come to know Christ. And so over the course of that four months, Evan Roberts began to pray. He said, I, I trust God that God will be faithful in accomplishing what he wants to. And I'm going to pray that 100,000 souls would be one to Christ. And so he did. And he took that vision to his church and he shared it very simply with his church. And they began to pray. The end result, that over the nine-month period following that, 100,000 people came to know Christ. 100,000. Can you imagine what that would do if 100,000 people in this area came to know Christ over a nine-month period? What would this area look like? How would it change? How would it change the way we do baseball? How would it change the decisions of the city council or the county commissioners? What would change if 100,000 people came to know Jesus Christ over the next nine months? Evan Roberts had no idea what would change. All we know is that it was the revival, the Welsh revival of 1904-1905. So do we want God to do something like that here? And so we have to ask this question, the simple question, what part does our faith play in revival? It's interesting, and, and I had a discussion with another church member last, it was last week or the week before. It says, do you ever read the Sunday school lessons? Do you ever read the Connect Group lessons? No, not really. I'm like the worst student for that because I don't go to a class. I'm usually running all over the building and getting ready for, for this hour. And so I'm not in a class, but... I do hear a class. Uh, my office is right across the hallway from a class that meets in the conference room. And I get to listen to it all the time. And most of the time, I'd say, I'd say probably 75% of the time, the teacher is loud enough that I can hear them. And those of you down in the conference room, you know that. And so I get to listen to, that, listen to him teach, and, and every once in a while I'll hear it. And this morning was one of those times where I heard it, and I was walking out, and I kind of leaned over to Joe was sitting on the back corner. I said, that's what I'm preaching this morning. I didn't put it together. God seemed to have put that together. So we're going to look at this whole idea of what part does faith play in, the, in revival? Or do you believe that revival is even a possibility? And then the last part of that, are you acting on that belief? Do you believe revival is possible and are you acting on that belief? So let's pray as we move forward in this and look at several different passages and kind of finish up this series in preparation for next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, you that you are almighty God. We thank you that you desire intimate relationship with us. 
just as you had an intimate relationship with Adam and Eve before the fall, and they, they just fellowship and communed with you, God, we want that kind of communion, and we realize that we live in a sin-sick world. And even our very nature draws us to that. But God, I pray that you would draw us to yourself with a stronger draw. That because we've been in your presence, because we are listening to your voice and we're allowing you to affect us, God, I pray that, that we would be in that spot where we desire you more than we do anything else. That that would be the one piece of our life, that one big part of our life that just overrides everything else. That every decision would be run through you. That everything we say would be filtered by you and your, your desire and your character. So God, we pray that you would work in us this morning. That as we talk about faith, as we talk about action, that you would accomplish what you need to in us. So that we would be prepared for you to do what you do. God bless Continue to bless our time this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. It says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It's the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Eugene Peterson translated it, and in this translation out of the message Sounds a little bit different, but listen to it because as we look at it, it can just have a different feel to it. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. It's our handle on what we can't see. So, so Nehemiah, if we go back to, the, uh, to looking at Nehemiah, Nehemiah was one of those guys who prayed, right? So he got this word about Jerusalem and the broken walls and the gates. And so he turned to God and said, God, I'm coming to you praying that you would do something. I don't know what that looks like, but God, here's the situation. And so I'm going to pray. And I'm coming to you in faith, realizing that you are a faithful God. And I'm going to ask you to do something in this, in this situation. And I don't know how you're going to use me. And so on the, on the end of the first chapter, he, he just says this. He says, I was a cupbearer to the king. And he makes that statement. And then we see him go before the king and pour out his heart as the king recognized that Nehemiah was burdened. And so the king says, you can go. And this is what I'll do for you. And he gives them provision and letters to get through the land. And Nehemiah gets there and he spies out what needs to be done and begins rallying the leaders. And then they rally the people to build the wall and replace the gates. And in 52 days, that work is accomplished, not without heartache. Because as they're building the wall, you know that there was opposition to it. There was opposition before they started. There was opposition in the middle of them doing the work. And so Nehemiah 
they finished the wall in 52 days and they come before God. And we said that Ezra and Nehemiah and the group of them got together and they read the book of the law and revival broke out among the people because they realized that they had transgressed God's law. And God did a mighty work. I think it was Nehemiah's faith put into action that God blessed and God poured his spirit on so that that work could be accomplished. And our faith is the same. We must act on our faith so that when it comes time, God does what he does. And we can't explain it away. We can't say we did it out of our effort. We do it and we come to God and saying, God, in faith, we know that you will act if we are faithful. And we trust you with all that we are. So in Psalm 85, we're going to read this. And look through Psalm 85, and then we'll catch three principles regarding faith. And we'll wrap up in Isaiah. So Psalm 85, would you stand as we read this together? Psalm 85, starting at verse 1. It says, Lord, you showered favor to your land. You restored Jacob's prosperity. You took away your people's guilt You covered all their sin. Selah. Just let that sink in, right? You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned from your burning anger. Return to us, God of our salvation, and abandon your displeasure with us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger for all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your faithful love, Lord, and give us your salvation. I will listen to what God will say. Surely the Lord will declare peace to his people, his godly ones, and not let them go back to foolish ways. His salvation is very near those who fear him so that glory may fall in our land. Faithful love and truth will join together. Righteousness and peace will embrace. Truth will spring up from the earth and righteousness will look down from heaven. Also, the Lord will provide what is good and our land will yield its crops. Righteousness will go before him to prepare the way for his steps. Yeah, that's a crazy passage as you look through it because you think, Early on, you think, God, where are you? And then you realize that he's praying and saying, God, you are there, and I understand you're there. Now I'm asking you to do something. And I trust that you will do it according to your purpose. You may be seated. First thing that we must understand about faith is that faith exchanges independence for dependence. Faith exchanges independence for dependence. Okay, so you got that? You understand it? We are built to to grow in independence, aren't we? It's kind of the way we're grown up as children. We want to, as adults, we want to produce independent children to think for themselves, to do for themselves, and all that. And the reality of discipleship And the reality of Deuteronomy 6 and what parents pour into their child is that we produce dependence. We really need to produce that. And it's not dependence on the parents. 
This is not a plea or, or a, um, an endorsement of adults that are 26, 30, 35, and 45 to move back in with their parents. It's not an endorsement for that. So don't get that. I, I love my children, but I do not want them to move back in. That part of the message will probably make it back to my kids. I don't, and it's not that I don't love them or want them around. I love them. I like seeing them and all that kind of stuff. But they need to be out on their own, earning a living and working and doing all those things and growing as individuals. They don't need to be dependent on me. I am temporary. Debbie is temporary. We've been given stewardship of two children that are now grown children, and we love them. We don't want them to come back. We don't want them to be dependent on us. We want them to be dependent on God. That's where we want them to land. And I know there are circumstances that that, that becomes difficult, and there are seasons of life where somebody moves back in because they have to, financial reasons or job reasons or whatever it happens to be. But we want to produce, and even though that may happen physically, we still want to produce those that are dependent on God. We want them to go to God first. And so the the psalmist, when he writes this, Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored Jacob's prosperity. You took away your people's guilt. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned from burning anger. It's a recognition that, God, we are dependent on you. See, apart from the cross of Christ and the salvation that's offered through Christ, we are, we are the recipients or would be the recipients of God's fury and His wrath. It's really what we deserve. Our sin causes the wrath of God to fall on us. If we are not in Christ, that's what we get. The other way to look at that is, and if you want to talk about the fury and the, and the anger and the wrath of God, you can go to the description of hell and understand that it is apart from God and is a place of eternal punishment. It is dark. It is awful. And those songs or those ideas that say, hey, I can't wait to party in hell. It ain't going to happen. It is not going to be a party. It is going to be anything but a party. It is not going to be getting together with your friends, drinking one more beer with your friends forever. It's not like that at all. It's a place of gnashing of teeth and and awfulness apart from the presence of God and anything to do with the righteousness of God. So why anybody would want to go to hell, I'm not exactly sure. It's probably because they don't understand how bad it's going to be. So we want to produce dependent people on God, and the psalmist understands that our salvation depends on Him. We don't earn it. We don't stack up our side of the scale on the good side so that we can make it. It's not anything like that. God offers it to us. We are dependent on God. In fact, we're dependent on God for our very existence. And our breath says, Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored Jacob's prosperity. That that whole idea of favor in in this is 
is that God would do it and, and bring something good out of what we would see as bad because our sin is taken away. Essentially, it's paying a debt that we owed. Um, I don't know how many of you listen to Dave Ramsey on a regular basis. How many of you listen to Dave? A few of you. And I would guess that there's probably a few more of us that need to listen to Dave Ramsey on a regular basis. Um, but it's inevitable that if you listen to the show for an hour, you, you hear about people settling all their debt, getting rid of all their debt, and living debt-free, and doing the debt-free scream and all that. And, and always, well, I don't, I don't want to say always, but a lot of the time, you hear them say, well, what was that debt made up of? And you'll hear school loans. We paid off our school loan. We had $100,000 in school loans. Or $150,000 in school loans. Well, what are you doing? And they, they would tell what it is. And he would like, okay, all right. So you have $150,000 in school loans. And you're not going to make $150,000 for 10 more years. And so, you know, you, you look at that. But when we talk about the debt of sin, we're talking about something that we can't take care of. That God has to take care of. It's a restoration process for us. Look at, look at the next verse. Restore to us, or return to us, God of our salvation. And abandon your displeasure. This, this idea is, is that we are being restored, made right, made new. We've got a, a small church window in our house that, that is um, suffering, suffering the um, neglect of just sitting in the garage. And it's going to get taken care of soon. But it's something that needs to be restored before it can ever get used. And so those that know how to restore it are going to be working on it along with somebody that doesn't know very much about restoration. And I want to tell you that having somebody that understands what it takes to restore makes all the difference in the world. God knows how to restore a life. And so God can do what only God can do and he can do it in us. So how confident are we in God that God will do what we can't? Second thing I want us to understand about faith is not just does it replace independence with dependence, but it replaces uncertainty with expectancy. Uncertainty with expectancy. Look what it says in verse 4. Return to us, God of our salvation. Abandon your displeasure with us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger for all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? That's the understanding that God wants us to be close to Him and rejoice in Him. And so the psalmist is saying... God, return to us, come back, revive us, put us in a place where we enjoy our relationship with you. There is a group of folks on, and on any given Sunday around our nation that go to church and they hate going to church. They, go to, they get ready and they get all dressed up and stuff and they get into the parking lot and the greeter in the parking lot or when they walk in the building says, how, how you doing? And they're like, I'm doing great. And they hate the fact that they had to get dressed up and come to church and they didn't get to sleep in on a Sunday. There is joy in our relationship with Christ if we have a vital, a vibrant, a growing relationship with Him. We will enjoy being in that, in that place. 
And, and when we look at these verses, return to us, God, of our salvation, abandon your displeasure with us, why would God be angry? He gets angry when we walk away. We don't care when we, when we express apathy or displeasure about what God is doing. In, in fact, we, we look for mercy, but you realize that we really like justice. Do you like justice? You like when you see justice is done? We watch TV shows based on that, don't we? We see something bad happen at the beginning of the show, and by the end of the show, we want things to be right. And when it doesn't end up quite like that, or, or it's to be continued, you, know, you see those words, to be continued, come up on the screen, and you just kind of groan. It's not a finished product yet. We want it to be done, and we love justice. If you looked at the news in, in Chicago with this whole Jesse Smollett thing, and looking at that, and you're going, where is the justice? Where is it? And if you don't know what that is, I'll, you can look it up. Let's get, if you don't even care about that, let's think of something a little different. Let's think you're, you're driving down the road and somebody comes up and they speed up behind you. They pass you in an inappropriate place and they, they go whizzing by you. And what do you wish for? You wish for a state trooper, a county sheriff, somebody to have seen that and pull them over. And your hope is that three miles down the road that you will see that same car that passed you on the side of the road with blue lights and another car behind them, Right? We love justice. We want, to, we want that person that is parking in the handicapped spot that doesn't have the handicapped sticker to get caught. We want justice when the truth is, and even, we may not say that outwardly. We may go, I ain't telling you that. But we, we kind of love the idea of justice. But when it comes to our salvation, do we want justice? I don't. I know what I did and I know what I do. You know what you did and you know what you do. And you want mercy. Because if God breaks out his wrath and fury on you, it's bad. We want mercy. We want mercy, and then we want the grace of God not to get back in that spot where we, we feel like we deserve the wrath of God. When it comes to our sin, we want mercy instead of justice. And we are His people by virtue of His mercy. This is what, this is what it says in 1 Peter 2.9, and this doesn't sound like a group that's under the wrath of God. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, that's a crazy statement. This whole idea that we've been called out of darkness into the light of God by His mercy. We didn't get justice and we're not going to get justice. We get grace and mercy. And so we can approach the throne of grace with expectancy. And saying, God, I come before you confidently that you will do what you need to do. And I can expect you to do things according to your character. And draw us to yourself because you love us. The minutia of everyday life gets in the way of that. I can get very distracted. 
It's easy for me to get distracted and, and not think about God in the middle of doing things. There are some reminders that need to take place. A reminder for this coming weekend is there is a table topper that's out in the foyer for you. Uh, we want you to take them. They're one per family. Take them home. Set them on your table or a place of prominence. And when you see it, be reminded that we're praying about this coming weekend. Just one week. And so pick those up on the way out. The ushers will have those. And it will be a reminder for us to come expecting God to do something. So faith exchanges independence, the I can do it with dependence, a willingness to rely on God. Faith replaces uncertainty with expectancy. And so we have a hopeful outlook about what God's going to do. The third thing is faith displaces apathy with action. And so what does action say? When we talk about action, what does that mean? Yesterday or last week, we did a family day up at North, and there was a group of folks that put into action work. Yesterday, and I've heard the number, I don't know how I'm hoping it's accurate, but I'm, in another way, I'm hoping it's not, that there were 36 people here yesterday working on the church property. So if you worked on the church property yesterday as part of the work day, would you stand? If you can. Now, now that, there, there was twofold reason. One was I wanted to, to just show that there are folks that stepped up and worked around this property. And so when you look at mulch beds or, that are filled in and columns that are painted and stuff like that, there was a group of people that did that. The other thing is they needed to stretch midway through this just, just because they're sore. And uh, so it is good, but they, they proved something yesterday that a lot can be accomplished. They displayed their understanding of the collective stewardship that we have of this property. Because we have a stewardship here. Truth, true faith, when it's expressed, is marked by action. True faith is marked by action. I and mean, think about it, just go through the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews that Noah believed and built an ark. Abraham believed God and moved away from home and went to a place that he didn't even know where he was going. Uh, in fact, Abraham went to sacrifice his only son, the son of promise, and God provided a ram. Moses believed God that he would be the spokesperson and the deliverer of the people of Israel from Egypt. We can go down the line, Joshua, Gideon, David, Mary, who believed God that, that the son, the, the child inside her was born of the Holy Spirit and was the Savior of the world. Joseph believed God and, and took Mary as his wife. And we can go down through, through that list and just realize that faith takes action. Faith takes action. Martin Luther, <coughs> excuse me. Martin Luther nailed 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door, that church in Wittenberg door, and, and it made, the difference in the, of the, made a difference in the world for how we believe and how we look at Scripture. Count von Zinzendorf started the Moravian Pentecost because he had faith. And there, was, there were others, if you go throughout history, that believed God, prayed and believed God, and had faith that God would do what only God can do. 
Faith is dependent on God. Faith is expectant on God, but faith demands action. And so what is the action for us? This week, the action is this preparation, getting ready for God to do a move. And we could put a date and a time on it, but it's not really about date and time. It's really about us being surrendered to him. And so in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, it's a familiar passage. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 3, says this, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. And we know that that has been interpreted to talk about John the Baptist, but what, do, what is to say or who's to say that we cannot be prepared for next week? That we can't be prepared for God doing something this coming week as we get ready. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And then this is what happens, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God will do something. God will do something. Our faith taken into action will do, will accomplish something as we are faithful to Him. So what does it take to make something straight in the desert? Yeah, I looked at that verse and I, and you know, my, my mind goes to pictures of deserts that I've seen and, but but another part of my mind went to knowing somebody who builds highways as part of that process. I know some, two people, and they're in the same family, and what they do is they work on bids for interstate interchanges and how long it takes to put those together. And then one of them actually goes and looks at the, looks at the interchange and seeing, seeing all that process that takes place to build one of those. And it's a, it's a crazy process, but it's a crazy expensive process. And I think about what it means for us to, to do this, what Isaiah is talking about here, just being that preparation people for what God's going to do, to make things straight, to make it right, so that God will appear, that His glory will appear. Well, it's not, maybe not as difficult, maybe it's more difficult than actually building a highway. But it takes us being concerted in prayer and saying, God, what will you do and how will you do it? And I'm trusting that you will. It's about preparation. So are you prepared for what God's going to do? We live in the tension between what is culturally acceptable and biblical truth. Prayer is the way of preparing the ground. It's about it's the way of getting ready for God to do something. And it says, and the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you believe God? We're going to have a call to prayer and actually set a new rhythm for prayer within our congregation. We've been talking about it for a while, and so I just want to list off some of the things that we're going to do in this whole idea of prayer going forward. They're not like crazy weird things, they're just things. So we're going to continue to pray in our services. So like at the end of the first song, and we may move it around somewhere else. So if you go, well, I know what's coming next, maybe you won't. 
But at the end of the first psalm this morning, Pastor Wayne called us to a time of prayer. And during that time, this altar is open. You don't have to stay in your seat. You here. It's a good place to be. And so we're going to continue to do that. We're going to accent our time of prayer on Wednesday nights. In fact, this coming Wednesday, there's a class that's starting. It'll be in the Nola Riley room, which is right off the foyer. And they're going to be going through a war room study. And it's a study of prayer. And so part of that class, part of what's going to happen in that class is they're going to take time to pray and likely take time to pray over those cards that are in the foyer. And so that class will begin this Wednesday, and you'll start to see more of those kind of things. You turned in cards earlier, and so there's a group praying for you now by row in this place. We'll use that, that prayer battleground in the foyer to share prayer requests. And we'll do that for, for an unknown future at this point, but we're going to do it in conjunction with Faith Baptist as they'll put cards up in the coming days and we'll pray together as two church families praying about what God's going to do in our midst. And I want to encourage you to participate in a revival, revitalization prayer meeting this Tuesday night at Lowe's Grove. Our association gets together quarterly and part of that's going to be prayer so we can get together with other congregations to participate with that. Individually, Continue working through Asleep in the Land of Nod devotional book. How many of you are working on that, reading through that? It's a good devotional book. If you haven't picked it up, just because we're, we're almost there, it doesn't mean you can't start. There's no date in that book. It's just 30 days. So if you don't have one yet, there's still some out there by the prayer battleground. And then you, you'll have those table toppers. See, the question is, if we're going to be a people of faith, and a faith that requires action, and we want to be dependent on God, then we have to question to ourselves, are we the one to step into that? Will I be willing to do that as an individual? Will I have the attitude of expectancy? Because God is faithful. He's trustworthy. He's true. And what God says in his words is that we ought to seek first the kingdom. And really that means just seeking out who he is and what he's about and what he's about to do. That's Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So this morning, the altar is open for you to come and pray. For you to pray for our church, to pray for our community, to pray for this coming weekend. It's about us taking action and saying, God, what will you do? Let us see your glory. Let us see your glory. And then to stand in amazement of what God will do. So will you be the one that prays for God to do something mighty? Like Evan Roberts, starting with him, 100,000 people come to know Christ. Will you be the one that is written about in history books where you decided to pray and it changed the course of history? Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.